with the fellow this week and was discussing he posted something on his Facebook and uh, I kind of responded to it and of course I know there's a lot of people that doesn't agree with me on my view of, of the Trinity and that's alright everybody has to believe as the Lord has led them to believe but uh just wanted to look a little bit about some of the things that the Bible teaches uh, as far as it pertains to the unity of God, the unity of the Godhead. I uh, thought that might be something this morning that uh, might be beneficial for us to know. Uh, I think that whenever we see what the Bible teaches about the character of God, it helps us in our theology, but it helps us in our uh, Soteriology as well, you know, whenever we know uh, who it is that we are worshiping. Um, you know, me and my kids were having a conversation just this last couple, last couple nights and everything about preaching and about topics and subjects and how preachers come up with what they preach and things. Well, I firmly believe that the Bible teaches that the Lord teaches us, that He's the one who is the teacher. Uh, things that are spiritually known are known because they are spiritually taught. Uh, me standing up here is not going to impart any knowledge into you. The Holy Spirit is going to give us knowledge. What I'm up here doing and what any brother does whenever they share is we are encouraging, edifying, building each other up uh, and everything like that. But ultimately, the Holy Spirit is the one that is the teacher. I can't impart knowledge to you. A seminary can't impart knowledge to anybody. You know, all the books that you read, wherever, you know, they can't impart knowledge. That God only imparts knowledge. And so, to know who God is and know what God is, is something that is... Uh, only taught by God. Matter of fact, the Bible says, can, can we find out God by searching? The question that's asked there is a, ultimately no. We can't find out God by searching. We can search all the chronicles of books throughout the centuries and every theologian, quote theologian that there is, and we still can't find out God by searching. He has revealed himself in his word and I would say that that's the first and foremost place and the only place that we find the truth. Uh, we don't find it in Gil's body of divinity, although there he speaks of a lot of truths, or Gilbert Beebe or anybody like that, whoever you want to put up as your theologian. Uh, we don't find that. They do not speak truth. That's why we don't hold the creeds and confessions and things such as that, because those are summaries that men have interpreted as the being the truth of Scripture, this right here is the only truth of Scripture. The Scriptures. <laughs> Why do we need to go to secondary things to tell us about what this says? I don't need a summary from some man to tell me what this is saying. I can just go to this. So let God be true and every man a liar. We don't, we don't need creeds and confessions to keep us in line. 
had that conversation with a gentleman just recently, continuing conversation with him, and he's asked me why, you know, I have such a bad look at creeds and confessions. Well, number one is because every creed and confession that I've ever read, I find that there's some places in it that it doesn't line up with Scripture. So, it's written by fallible men. There's only one that's infallible, and that's, that's the Lord, and that's His Word that He has given us. So, to know anything about God is not to learn philosophy, it's not to learn systematic theology. I'm sure all of us here at one time has looked through a systematic theology book. I've got several, they're in storage now, but I've got several systematic theology books. Wayne Gruden's book, I used to love that book, but <coughs> man, the more I began to study God's Word, I found there was a lot of things I disagreed with it in. Uh, there's Boyce's systematic theology uh, third nine articles and all like that. All these things, these systematic theologies that men write, they write to try to describe to us who God is. But again, I ask, can we find out God by searching? I don't think so. It has to be by revelation. It has to be by revelation. And it's all going to be according to His Word. Therefore, whenever we come to God's Word to search out what God has revealed to us, and we pray that the Holy Spirit give us guidance on that, we find one of the things that God tells us, and if you want to go ahead and turn, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, one of the things the Bible tells us about our God is this. 1 Timothy 3.16 And without controversy... Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. Now, whatever else that we might find out about God through God's Word, one thing is sure, the mystery of godliness is that, a mystery. That coincides with what God said when He said, you're not going to find me out by searching. Because... Godliness is a mystery. God is a mystery. And all we're going to know is what He's told us. But one thing else that we learn is that God was manifested in the flesh. That is a truth, brethren, that we cling to, that we hold to, that is, that is the center point, I believe, of all of Scripture is the fact that God was manifest in the flesh in the man Christ Jesus. Whatever there is in the expanse of God in His greatness, the Bible says that the heavens of heavens can't contain Him. The Bible says that He is a spirit, that He is omnipresent, He is everywhere, that He is omnipotent, He's all-powerful. The Bible says that He is over all things. He's sovereign. I mean, here we have this God, but the Bible says that He was manifested in the flesh. That all of God was manifested in the flesh. Not just part God. Not one third of God was manifested in the flesh. All of God was manifested in the flesh. And we have that God as the center point of the Old Testament, we have that God as the center point of the New Testament. 
The Lord Jesus Christ is the sum and substance of everything in the old, the sum and the substance of everything in the new. Everything that we see in God's Word from Genesis to Malachi is about Jesus Christ. People like to go there and they like to see stories. They like to go there and they like to see history. They like to go there and find out who did what. They like to see all the miracles that God did among all the people back then and all the things that happened and all the, you know, all the stuff that we see in the Old Testament. But brethren, listen, the New Testament tells us all those things were written about Him, about Christ. That all those things were written for our benefit to know Christ. So when we go to the Old Testament, we are to find Christ there. Now, some people will say, well, wait a minute, I didn't think Christ showed up to the New Testament. Brethren, we know that Christ was there before the foundation of the world. We know that that Christ is God manifested in the flesh. We know that Christ was all through the Old Testament. And I'm not going to go through all that today. I've done that in times past, and we'll probably visit it again sometime. But Christ was all in the Old Testament. And in the New Testament, we learn that, of course, we see more clearly Christ in the New Testament. We see... Uh, him as the center point of everything uh, from uh, Matthew all the way to the Revelation. Um, But this mystery of godliness, God manifested in the flesh, that's kind of what I wanted to look at this morning. Because whenever I say God was manifested in the flesh, I truly mean that it was all God that was manifested in the flesh. I really don't think that it was just the Word Manifested in the flesh. Now the Bible does say the Word was made flesh, and we're going to read. We'll read that verse here in a minute. Uh, it says the Word was made flesh, but we have other scripture that says it was not just the Word that was in Christ Jesus. Um, if you'll look with me, look at John chapter one. No, we can't talk about this subject without going to John chapter one. I guess my point that I'm, I guess give the point ahead of time just so you kind of know my thoughts on it and everything, is I'm saying that all the Godhead, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, all the one God is Christ Jesus. He is in the man, Christ Jesus, and therefore the one God that we worship is Christ. And I believe that men have tried to take the Godhead and and so divided up into distinct individual persons that they have made three gods. And I'm not denying the Trinity. I'm not denying the Godhead, the Father, Word, and the Holy Spirit. These these three are one. I believe what the Bible teaches, but I don't want to go further than what the Bible teaches. Okay? And I don't want to say anything less than the Bible teaches, but it's very clear that Whenever we look at the the term the Father, we look at the term the Word, and we look at the term the Holy Spirit, we find that the Bible overwhelmingly makes reference of these three in the Godhead to Jesus Christ and attributes those three Godhead titles to the man, Jesus Christ. And so I'm just saying at the outset, I don't know it all. I am ignorant of a lot of things. I don't have it all figured out. 
I have much learning to do if the Spirit would be pleased to teach me more. And it is a mind-boggling thing to me to think of God and how He, how he works and how He has presented Himself and how the report is of God in Christ Jesus. It is truly a mystery. And I'm not trying to say here that I've found it all out and now I'm going to try to make it all concrete to you. I'm just presenting to you what I see in scriptures. You be good Bereans and you go search the scripture to find out whether these things are true because you don't take my word for it, you take God's word for it. Right? So I'm just going to present what I see in the scriptures and also in part of this is I've not really spoke a whole lot publicly in this fashion on what I believe about these. I have in conversations and type, but I would like to publicly declare what I believe because I've, I've been misrepresented by many men who believe that I'm a Sabellian or a you know some sort of a, a, a denier of Christ's deity or denier of the Trinity and all this kind of stuff. Um, I just will say I don't have it all figured out, and I just I, I want to only speak biblically. Okay, I want to speak biblically. Uh, I don't find the Bible saying that there are three persons in the Godhead. I don't see that. I know that there's inferences there because it speaks of the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, but I only want to speak as the Bible speaks on this subject. And it says there are three that bear a record in heaven. So there's three record bearers in heaven. The Father, Word, and the Holy Spirit. And it says, and these three are one. So I'll go that far. I don't want to go any further than that. But let's look at a few things here. In John chapter 1, and verse 1, we read, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life, life was the light of men. Now drop down to verse 40. It says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So here we see that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay, the Word was God. So we definitely know that the Word, who we find in the Godhead, was God. Okay? The Word was God. And that that Word became flesh. Okay? Um, but notice it says, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Doesn't that kind of sound weird? So you have the Word who was God, and the Word who was with God. How, how did that take place? Well, my understanding of this is, is whenever God brought forth the body that was prepared for Christ, as the mediator, as he took on that manhood, that he, as the Word made flesh, and we'll see in other places, God made flesh, but as that, Man, who was the mediator, and the only mediator, by the way, the Bible says, between God and man, is the man, Jesus Christ. So, ever since Christ has been the mediator 
of the covenant, the mediator of his elect people that was in him, he has stood as the man between God and man. So I believe that this was with God is in his manhood, that mediator role. And was God, because he is divine, he is God in flesh. Now, I'm not dogmatic about that. Not, you know, as I said, take that with you and gnaw on that or throw it out. Whatever you want to do, throw it out. That's how I am understanding this. And, you know, I may be wrong. I'll be glad to be corrected by Scripture on that. But he says that he was in the flesh and he dwelt among us. Right? Well, that's the very that's the very name that was given to Christ was Emmanuel. God with us. The very fact that his name was God with us. Look also at uh, Philippians. If you guys have any questions or have any comments, feel free to jump right in. Well, you're always welcome to speak up and mention anything if you want. Any brothers are. Philippians chapter 2. Look at verse 5 and verse 6. It says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Now, let me just say this as a uh, in passing here. If you look at modern translations of the Bible, you will find that that does not say that. It says, Who thought... Equality with God is something that could not be grasped. That is the exact opposite of what God's Word says. Those modern translations says that Jesus could not, that equality with God was not, not something that could even be grasped. But here it says that Jesus said that it was not robbery for him to say, I'm God. And he did say he was God. Remember one time the Jehovah's Witnesses or the Watchtower, is that the Watchtower people? Jehovah's Witnesses, the Watchtower people? The Watchtower people come to my door. There's an older man and a younger woman come to my door. Most of the time I just never would even respond to them whenever they come to the door. But this time the Lord had me open up the door and uh, just so happened to have my Bible was laying up there on that banister. Anyway, he came and was wanting to give me some literature and I... You know, I told him, I said, you know, I don't want your literature. And he said, well, how come? I said, because you're preaching a false gospel and a false Christ. And he began to say, well, no, I think we're all the same. We're worshiping the same God. I said, no, sir, we're not. I said, uh, we believe that Jesus is God. Do you believe that? And he said, well, we believe that he that He is a God, but we don't believe he is Jehovah. And uh, I said, well, the Bible clearly believes that. And he's like, well, can you? And he hands me his Bible and says, can you show me that? So I started opening up the scriptures, and I started going through a lot of these places. And uh, I showed him, I said, you know, look at here. Look at this verse. Well, what about this verse? Well, what about this verse? Well, what about this verse? One of the ones I went to is this one right here. I said, look at this verse. It says right here that he thought robbery, uh, it would not be robbery to be equal with God. I took him to the passage where the Pharisees were accusing him of calling or making himself to be God. I said, now, whenever Jesus made that statement, those men understood that as he's saying he's God. Now, you're the one who's saying that he's not saying that. 
He said, well, Jesus never said that he was God. I said, well, I beg to differ. He said that in a lot of places, and so did God's Word. But anyway, as I took this man through these scriptures, the more scriptures that I read, read the man physically began to tremble. I mean, just like, like he had Parkinson's or something really bad. He began to tremble like this. So I don't know if it was fear. I don't know if it was a demon that was causing him to tremble that way. I don't know what it was, but I mean, he physically began to, like, knock, his knees knocking, his arms shaking. And I told that young girl who was with him, I said, I tell you what, you need to part ways with this guy and get as far away from this gospel as you can uh, and everything. And he just said, well, he rushed out to shake my hand. He said, well, we just need to agree to disagree. And I said, no, sir. I said, I'm just going to completely disagree. Uh, you're preaching a false gospel. And he turned, turned around and he said, well, I hope you have a, a good day. I said, well, sir, I pray that you repent. <laughs> and uh, anyway, the idea that Christ is not God uh, is not what we believe, is not what we hope to. We believe that Christ is God manifested in the flesh. We don't believe that he's anything separate from God. You know, I'm not believing that there's God and then there's Jesus Christ who is a created being separate from God. Now, do I believe that Jesus' flesh, that his manhood, is something that was prepared for him? Absolutely. The Bible is very clear about that. But I don't believe that Jesus is a created God. I don't believe that whenever it speaks of the begottenness of Christ, that that is speaking of begottenness as far as his deity is concerned. It's speaking, whenever it says that he is begotten of God, it's speaking of him in his manhood. It was the manhood of Christ that was begotten, okay? And God took on that flesh that he begot, that he, that he brought forth, and that he, the Bible says that he, uh, that he, uh, uh, before anything, in, he inhabited me in, in my ways before the foundation of the world, before the mountains were laid, before anything was laid. He inhabited me. What what did he inhabit? He inhabited that that uh, manhood, that 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 which God had made for him to dwell in as the mediator, as the Christ, as the uh, as the surety for God's people. And so we see in John, we see that God was manifested in the flesh. And that this man that was manifested in the flesh is equal to God because he is God. Look, if you would, uh, back into Ephesians, at Ephesians chapter 4. Chapter 4, and uh, I think it's in chapter 4. I'm looking for here. Really? My mind has escaped me here on this verse. I thought it was, I was wanting something here in Ephesians 4. Come to me. Another verse that we see about Christ being God is found in Colossians. Going turn there, maybe the Ephesians verse. Maybe one go. Y'all can read my mind and tell me what I might have been thinking. I might have been thinking. 
In Colossians chapter 1, we see, speaking of Christ Jesus, he said, who is the image of the invisible God? So whoever God is in that invisible spirit nature, who that essence that who is God, by the way, we don't also don't find anywhere in Scripture where the Bible says that the essence of God. It doesn't say that they are one in essence. I hear that all the time in theology books. It says they're three in persons, but one in essence. I don't find that anywhere in Scripture. I believe that's making more out of trying to separate the Godhead than it is in trying to teach God as the Bible teaches one God. But it says here, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. So here we see that Christ is the image of the invisible God. Also look down at verse 19. It said, For it pleased the Father. Now if you see the Father is in italics there, that's not actually in the in the in the Greek. It's actually um, put there for translators to put it in there for us to better read in flow of what it's saying here, but it says, But it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. So it pleased God that all fullness dwell in Christ Jesus. Well what fullness? Well that's the fullness of the Godhead. That he is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That's in chapter uh, two, right? Chapter two, verse nine. It says, For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So that would tell me that it's not just the Word that's in Christ, it's all the Godhead is in Christ. Whatever that whatever that Godhead is, and I'm not saying that I know it all what it is. I'm just saying whatever is there, one John tells us that it's the Father, Word, and Holy Ghost, but all that is in Christ Jesus. And all the fullness of that is in Christ Jesus. All of who God is. Every attribute of God. Every character of God. Every uh, ability and power. Whatever is attributed to God is in Christ Jesus. He is God in the flesh. Now, with that being said, now that we've kind of established that, that God manifested in the flesh, let's look at a few things. Back in Isaiah uh, chapter 44, um, we learn that the Bible tells us that there's only one God. Okay, There's not three gods, or as Ben Hinn says, there's 13 or 33 or something like that. I heard him one time say something like that. Trying to say that each part of, each person in the Trinity had their own three separate Trinities in them. Something like that. I mean, that was, you know. Don't listen to Ben Hinn. That's the point of all of it. John chapter, or excuse me, Isaiah chapter 44. Look with me if you would, down at verse uh, 45. Or excuse me, uh, Isaiah 44. This verse 1, it says, Yet now hear, O Jacob, my servant, and Israel, whom I have chosen. Thus saith the Lord that made thee, and formed thee from the womb, which will help thee. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, for thou, Jezreel, whom I have chosen. For I will pour water upon him that is thirsty, and floods upon the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon thy seed, and my blessing upon uh, thine offspring. And they shall spring up as among grass, as willows by the watercourses. And one shall say, I am the Lord's, and another shall call himself by the name of Jacob. 
and another shall subscribe with his hand unto the Lord and surname himself by the name of Israel. Thus saith the Lord, King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. And if you notice there, the Lord of hosts, that's Jehovah. The Redeemer, the Jehovah of hosts. I am the first, and I am the last, and beside me there is no God. Now here we see Jehovah, and most of the time whenever we think of Jehovah, we think of the Father, right? We think of God, pre-Christ incarnation, right? That's kind of who we think of normally, or what theology books have taught us, uh, what modern Christianity teaches us. But here we see that Jehovah is the Redeemer. Well, we know that Christ is the Redeemer, right? It says here that He is the first and the last, but isn't Christ the one who is attributed to being the Alpha and the Omega in Revelation? Isn't He the one attributed to be the first and the last? He says, and besides me, who? The Lord of hosts. Jehovah of hosts, the Redeemer. There is no God. And who is I shall call and, and, and shall declare it and said it, uh, matter of fact, before I move on to that, who also is the one who created everything, right? Thus saith the Lord that made thee and formed thee from the womb. He's the one who created everybody. I appointed the ancient people and the things that are coming and shall come. Let them show unto them. Fear ye not, neither be afraid. Have not I told thee from that time and have declared it? Even are uh, ye are even my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? Yea, there is no God. I know not any. They that make a graven image are all of them vanity, and their delectable things shall not profit. And they are their own witnesses. They see not nor know that they may be ashamed. Who hath formed a God or molten a graven image that is profitable for nothing? Behold, all his fellows shall be ashamed, and the workmen, they are of men. Let them all be gathered together. Let them stand up. Yet, yet they shall fear, and they shall be ashamed together. So brethren, there is no other gods besides God. There is only one God. The Hindus, they have their however many hundreds and fifty three thousand, however many gods that they have. Muslims have all of the, the Buddhists. Uh, I mean, all these people have their gods. They're not gods. They're not real gods. They're fake gods. They're things that man make up in their imaginations because they have suppressed the truth and they have began to worship the creation rather than the Creator. They have, they have gone away and said, we don't want the God of the Bible, so we're going to make a God in our own image. We're going to make a God after our own liking. We want to set up a God like we like. And brethren, listen, it's, it's no different in the umbrella of Christianity. There are modern people who call themselves Christians who have set up a Christ and a Jesus of their own making. A God who supposedly loves everybody. A Jesus who supposedly died for everybody. A salvation that is supposedly for everybody. But yet the Scriptures don't teach that. The Scriptures are very clear that God does not love everybody. That He has loved His, His elect from everlasting. That He hates all the non-elect. That He has created them as vessels of destruction. And that He has sent His Son to redeem His people only. And so we see that the God that is built up in even among modern Christianity, 
is just a false god. But there is only one God. God says there is only one. He and Him, Christ Jesus, the God of the Bible, that's the only God that there is. Look at in uh, over in uh, chapter 45, uh, verse 21. He says, I tell ye, and bring them near, yea, let them take counsel together who hath declared this from ancient time, who hath told it from that time, and have not I the Lord? And again, that is the word Jehovah. And there is no God else besides me. And look at this. This is what really stood out to me in this verse. A just God and Savior. There is none besides me. We know that the term Savior there is always used in connection with the man Jesus Christ. It's always in, in, in connection with His mediatorial work. His substitutionary work uh, as the Savior, as the Anointed One of God, as the Christ. Okay, that's but that's being attributed to Jehovah. It's being attributed to as the only God, and there is no God else besides Him, Christ, the Savior. But it says here, a just God and Savior. The uh, uh, one that really Deuteronomy, if you would, Deuteronomy. Chapter six. Deuteronomy chapter six. Look with me if you would at verse four. Now this is probably the probably more most famous verse to all of us. <clears throat> what do they call that? Help me out here, brother. Uh, Deuteronomy six four. Whenever you get there, what what is it they call that? The Hebrew something. Shema, the Hebrew Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Now it says there again. That's the word Jehovah, and this is the name that God revealed to Moses, right? This is the name that whenever Moses said, you know, who, who are you? What's your name? Whenever I go down and tell him who sent me, he said, he said, this is my name. Okay? Hear, O Israel, the Jehovah our God is one Jehovah. There's only one Jehovah. There's not three Jehovahs. There's not 13 Jehovahs. There's not, you know, a lot of spokes leading to the one Jehovah. And all these little Jehovahs that are out there all lead to the main Jehovah. There's not that. There's only one Jehovah. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Look at uh, chapter 4. Back just a few pages in your Bible to chapter 4. Verse 35. It says, verse 35, Unto thee it was shown that thou mightest know that the Lord, Jehovah, He is God, and there is none else beside Him. Um, so, brethren, I clearly believe that the that our God is one God. Uh, and I know that that's been taught all down through history, that we have one God. Um, but as I've mentioned, I think while we say that, we try to keep this Athanasian 
Nicene understanding, Catholic understanding of the Trinity by saying, yeah, we have one God, but they're split into three persons. And these three persons are individual. I mean, and I'm not saying stuff that I've, these are things that men have actually told me that I've read in the theology books and the systematic theology books and that I myself have once held to that they are three individual distinct beings. Well, have you ever looked up what the word being means? Have you ever looked up what the word distinct and individual means? If something is individual, that means that it stands alone apart from somebody else. Brother Larry is an individual, but he's not Mike. Mike is an individual, but Mark's are not Mark. Okay? That would be three individual distinct beings. But the Bible says that there is only one God. And that God who is invisible, by the way, is only seen and only visible in the body of the man Jesus Christ. So to me, the Bible speaks more clearly of a unity of God than it does in this separation of trying to separate three persons and trying to prove it by verses where God spoke out of heaven, Christ was being baptized, the dove came down. Hey, listen, if Christ can be on earth speaking to people, and at the same time he says that the Son of Man is also in heaven, how is the Son of Man standing on earth and the Son of Man also in heaven? That's a mystery to me. I don't know, but it says the Son of Man is in heaven while he was talking on earth. That's a mystery. I don't go any further than what the Bible says. I don't want to speak anything less than the Bible says. All I know is somehow Christ, as the Son of Man, can be both in heaven and on earth at the same time. So why could he not, as God, deity, be speaking out of heaven to God in flesh on earth? This is my beloved Son. Well, who's he speaking of? He's speaking of the humanity, the manhood that has taken on the invisible God, or excuse me, the invisible God that has taken on flesh as the Christ, as the mediator, as the one. God is mediating His own people in that flesh. I, I don't know how else to explain it. I may not even be able to explain it very well, and this may be as confusing to everybody else as it's probably been to me as I've been studying it. But brethren, all I can say is that to me there's only one God and that God is manifested Christ. And you can put me in whatever group you want to put me in and I don't care. I do, I do somewhat care, but I mean, if, if anybody says they don't care, they're just lying to themselves because everybody kind of cares how, what other people think of them. But I, I'm more interested in being biblical than I am fitting into groups. But So we see that God is one. We see that God is manifested in the man Jesus Christ. But what of the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit? Is Christ, and does the Bible um, attribute those three record bearers to that man Jesus Christ? Well, I believe they, they do. Look in, uh, again, look in, uh, i tell you what, since you're already in the Old Testament, let's just uh, start in the Old Testament. Um, Isaiah. Forty-six, I believe it is. Uh, 
some of them down. <clears throat> so do you remember where the passage is that speaks of uh, that his name shall be called Emmanuel, the everlasting Father? Oh, I'm having a, a brain block here. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. Again, I think all of us are, are probably in agreement that this is speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Notice that the child that was born, and this is just a side issue on this Christ manhood issue. Just notice that the child that was born was the son that was given. He was already the son before he was a child. He already had took on that manhood before he was born as a child. Because um, the son was given in the child that was born. But it says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. I don't think anybody would uh, disagree that the government of Christ's king, or God's kingdom is Christ, right? He is the one who is the governor of the kingdom. The government shall be upon his shoulders. But I would also say that all governments are on his shoulders as well. He has set up and tore down every government that has ever existed. This government that we have, God has set this government up. I know we don't like it. I know we hate the evil that's coming out of it. But God has set this government up. Every ruler, every leader, everything God has predestinated and God has set these up. The government, whether it be the spiritual government or whether it be the civil government, physical government of the world, all of them are on the shoulder of Christ Jesus. But it says, And the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful. Counselor. Now wait a minute. That word counselor there. Uh, that word counselor is a, uh, is a, is a term that is uh, that to me has indicative nature of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our counselor. But it says here that Christ is 
the wonderful counselor, the mighty God. And I looked that up in there to see if the word the there, what, what kind of word that was. It's a definite article. It's not just the mighty God, it's the mighty God. Meaning, the mighty God, the only mighty God, the one and only mighty God, as opposed to anybody else, He is the mighty God. So whenever the Bible speaks of God, that's who He's talking about. The mighty God. Definite article there. The, the, the mighty God, but here's the one that has always squirreled me up in the past, and I just am praying what I'm saying is not against the truth. It says the everlasting Father. It would be different if he said the timely Father or the Father of all his children. But it says the everlasting Father. Now, is there two everlasting fathers? Is there the everlasting Father who was the Father in the Godhead? And the everlasting Father who is Christ? Who is the everlasting Father? There's only one everlasting Father that I know of, but it attributes that to Christ. I know I've read all the commentaries by men who try to attribute that to something less than God, that this is His uh, His being the Father of all His people in the aspects of uh, salvation and, and everything. But brethren, it says the everlasting Father. And that definite article is the same as the mighty God. I mean, that the means the one and only. This the right in front of everlasting Father is the exact same definite article that's in front of the mighty God. So if He is the mighty God, the one and only God, then He is the one and only everlasting Father. The Prince of Peace. Also in Isaiah seven fourteen, validates what you're saying about Christ being represented there. Would you like to read that? Therefore, the Lord Himself shall give you a sign: Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Amen. Amen. Yeah, Emmanuel. It means God with us. A virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name. Emmanuel, who's God with us. God came in the flesh by way of, uh, through Mary. The Bible says that the Spirit uh, overshadowed Mary and uh, that, uh, that, con- that Christ was conceived in Mary. He wasn't conceived by any man. Matter of fact, He wasn't really conceived of Mary. He was conceived of the Holy Ghost. I know some men, especially men that we have known in the past, the preacher that we've encountered, uh, has said that the Holy Spirit overcome Mary and put him in the womb, and that he has been that he has been um, what was, I can't remember the exact phrase they used, but basically that uh, that there was like seven times uh, he had been cleansed. The Holy Spirit had overshadowed him and. That his, he was cleansed seven times. That's why he could be born from Mary, but not be of Adam. There's nothing in the scripture that says that. It just says that the Holy Spirit overshadowed her, and that what was conceived in her was of the Holy Spirit. We know that that Christ did not get his manhood from man. He did not get his manhood from Mary. Otherwise, he would have been of the earth earthy. He would have been of Adam. 
Now, he was of the legal lineage of David. He was of the legal lineage because he come from the womb. That was the legal thing. If you come from the womb, you're considered to be this man's legal thing. If you remember the, uh, uh, was it the Shulamite priest? Uh, the order of that? I may be wrong on that. But anyway, it was if, if a man died and his brother come and took his wife and had a son, that son was considered to carry on his dad's lineage. Not his uncle's, but his dad's lineage. Well, he didn't come from his dad's loins. Well, how did he come? He came from his uncle's loins. But he did it because it was the legal way of carrying on the lineage. Well, Jesus, because he was born of woman, was born of Mary, was in the legal line, and therefore, that's not contradictory to everything that shows the lineage of Jesus Christ. But he doesn't have to get his manhood from Mary to have that. If he had his manhood from Mary, then 1 Corinthians 15 is wrong. He is not the man from heaven. He is the man from earth, earthy. Okay? So we got to let the Bible clear up a lot of these theological books, right? Let, them, let the Bible be true. But yes, brother, that is, that is a great verse, that he is God with us, Emmanuel, and everything. Uh, also, in John chapter 10, we find uh, some things. If you think of any more verses, we, we should... John chapter 10. You can go round and round about these verses here. Try to make them, try to say what they actually just don't say. Just read it. What does it say? I mean, John chapter 10, look at verse 30. Jesus said, I and the Father, or my Father, are one. I think that's plain as day. I and my father are one. Look at verse 33. The Jews answered him, saying, For good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy, and because that thou, being a man, makest thyself God. That's what I was speaking about. That's one of the verses I was reading uh, to that uh, Jehovah's Witness guy. And I said right here, Those men, whenever Jesus said, I and my father are one, they did not think he was saying we are one in essence. They are thinking, we're fixing to pick up stones and we're going to stone you for blaspheming by saying that you are God. We understand you, whenever you say that you are one, that you're saying that you're God. Which Jesus was saying that he was God. He was proclaiming that he was God. Look over in chapter 14. Verse 9. So Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long with you? This is whenever he was talking with uh, Thomas. Remember whenever Thomas, uh, after Jesus' resurrection, uh, Thomas was, man, I, you know, uh, or was it Thomas? No, this was Philip. This was with Philip, not Thomas. I'm sorry. Got my, got my disciples mixed up. This is with Philip. Philip was saying, Hey, Lord, you know, show us the Father and we'll believe it. You'll show, you'll show us the Father. What did Jesus say? Verse 9. Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? Wait, he said, he just asked, the, I mean, someone on the sideline there said, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. Jesus, did you not hear Philip's question? Philip said, can you show me the Father? Yeah, we've seen you, we've been with you, we know you. But he asked if we could see the Father. Would you show us the Father? 
Jesus didn't make a mistake. He didn't mishear, right? He said, Have I been so long with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, Show us the Father? Well, why did Jesus say that? Was he saying, Because I am the Father? You know, me and my Father have the same essence. Okay? We are three persons in one essence. Is that what he said? No, he said, I and my Father are one. And if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Why? Because all the fullness of the Godhead, Father, Word, and Holy Spirit dwells in me. Psalms chapter 18. Should have went back there while I was there. Psalms 18. uh, Find some other interesting verses here. Psalms 18 and verse 31. It says, For who is God save the Jehovah, the Lord? For who is God save the Lord? Or who is a rock save our God? Uh, who's the rock? It's Christ, right? He is the stone of stumbling. Jesus said, whenever he asked, who do men say that I am? What did Peter say? Thou art Christ, Son of the living God. What did Jesus say? Upon this rock, he wasn't talking about Peter, right? He was talking about all them popes that were going to come from Peter, right? No, he was talking about Christ. Jesus was talking about himself. He said, upon this declaration, upon this truth, upon this doctrine, that I am Christ, the Son of the living God, upon this rock I will build my church. The very fact that the church would come into being, would be built up by Him, was based upon the fact that there was a mediator between God and man. Without that mediatorial ship, it was all going to be wrath against mankind. But praise God, God, before the foundation of the world, God loved us with an everlasting love and chose us in Christ Jesus, who is our surety. Jesus said, let me go, send me, and I will go, and if I do not come and bring them back, let let that blood be upon my hands. Remember Benjamin? Judah? Judah made the pledge. We see that when we look past the physical part and look to the spiritual part of that. Judah pledged to his father, said, let me go, I'll take Benjamin, and if I do not come and bring him back with me, Benjamin was with him. We are with Christ in God. Right? We're in Him. And He went. He lived the obedience for us. He died the death that should have been ours. The substitutionary work in obedience and in death Christ did on our behalf as our mediator, as our surety. So we went with Him and we were brought back with Him. Just as Judah went with Benjamin and came back with Benjamin. What a beautiful picture of Christ's suretyship. And He is that God. He says here that He, verse 31, is the rock who is a rock save our God. There is no other God but the rock. 
Look at Psalms 95, verse 1. I used to have this on a uh, business card back whenever I traveled in the Southern Gospel Group. Put this on our business card one time. Psalm 95, verse 1 says, O come, let us sing unto the Lord. That word again, Jehovah. Let us make a joyful noise to who? To the rock of our salvation. Jesus Christ is here again shown to be that Jehovah God. Now, I think everybody's alright with that and good with the Bible's teaching on that, right? We ought to be because God said it, right? And I don't think I've tried to throw that out too far out of the ordinary, just trying to stick with the Scriptures again. But what about whenever it comes to the Spirit, the Holy Spirit? A lot of times we attribute Christ and God together, Christ and the Father together, but what about the Holy Spirit? Does the Bible say anything about the Holy Spirit being, being attributed to being Christ? Well, look with me, if you would, at Romans. We'll read these a few verses here, and if you guys, again, have any that you can think of or come up with, I'll be glad to... Uh, that you have all the time you want to read them and discuss them. Uh, Romans chapter 8. And look with me if you, if you would at verse 9. It says, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the, here it is, Spirit of God. So here we see that, that the Spirit is called the Spirit of God. Dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, He is none of His. So now the Spirit of God is also called the Spirit of Christ. It's Christ's Spirit. So now the Holy Spirit is attributed to Christ. Look at verse 10. And if Christ be in you, wait a minute, I thought the Holy Spirit was in me. I've always been told that the Holy Spirit indwells me. But now you're saying that Christ be in you. Christ is in me. Well, how is Christ in me? Well, because the Holy Spirit's in you. Wait, I thought they were two separate individual distinct beings. Persons. No, they're one God. They're one God. And God has come not in the flesh, but come in the Spirit and indwelt you. And that Spirit is the Spirit of Christ, who is God. Who is the manifestation of God? Now, don't get me wrong when I say manifestation of God because some people are going to say I'm a modalist. I'm saying this, that God was manifested in the flesh. Was that not what our scripture verse that we began with said? That great is the mystery of God and God was manifested in the flesh. That's what I'm trying to get across. Is that everything that we know about God and who all God is in that divine Godhead it is in Christ. There's the unity of God, and that unity is found in Christ. So I think whenever the Bible says, and again, this is what I understand, and again, I could be wrong. You go and search the Scriptures to find out whether these things be true. But whenever the Bible says that these three that bear record in heaven, these three are one, I believe it means these three are one in Christ Jesus. He says, if, any, if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you... Well, wait a minute. Who raised up Jesus from the dead? 
Now here's where we kind of get into a little uh, mix-up, mash-up thing. The Bible tells us that the Father raised the Son up, right? But we also see in Scripture where the Bible says that the Son raised Himself up, right? The Son raised Himself up. So the Father raised up Jesus, but the Bible also says Jesus raised up Jesus, that He raised Himself from the dead. But now, with that being said, it's saying here that the Spirit of Him who raised up Jesus be in you. So here we see the Holy Spirit is attributed to the Father. It's attributed to the Son. And it's attributed to Himself, the Spirit of God. So we see all three of the Godhead is in unity here. And each one of those Godhead titles is pointed to the man, Jesus Christ. It's attributed to Him. Look at Galatians chapter 1. I had a guy point out to me one time, and I, I did it. He said, underline the Spirit every time it's mentioned in chapter 8. And it's 16 times to the capital S, Spirit. 16 right. times in chapter 8. Yeah. Yeah. The Romans. It says in verse 16, the Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. That's the Holy Spirit. bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. But it bears witness of Christ, right? We are Christ's children. But we learn that Christ is also the counselor. Who's the one that counsels us? Who's the one that counsels you that you're a child of God? It's Christ through the Spirit. I mean, yeah, everywhere down through there that talks about the Spirit. He that searches the hearts knoweth that, that what is the mind of the Spirit. But doesn't the Bible say that Jesus Christ, that as Christ, the Bible says that the Word come out of His mouth like a double-edged sword, dividing even soul and I'm going to misquote it. Bone and marrow and everything like that. I mean, he's the discerner of, of the thoughts of men and the thoughts of God. I mean, it's Christ that does that, but yet here it's attributed to the Spirit. Who is that? That's good, brother. In Galatians chapter 1, uh, verse 1 says, Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by men, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised Him from the dead. So here we see that God the Father raised Christ from the dead. You say, well, it's making a distinction there, preacher. But, uh, that He was an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised Him from the dead. Just because that says that doesn't mean that they're not in unity. We learn that the Father is Christ Jesus, the everlasting Father. We learn that Jesus Christ is the one who raised Himself from the dead. So who is it that raised Himself from the dead? Well, God did. God raised Him from the dead. But let's not, let's not be bashful about it. That all of who God is, whether it be God, Father, God, Spirit, God, Word, was in Christ Jesus. 
Back again in John chapter 10. Just got a few more here, brethren. Bear with me. John chapter 10 and verse 17. It says, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it up again. Very clear right there. Who took it up again? Jesus. I lay down my life that I might take it up again. <laughs> Look at verse 18. No man take it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. Okay, so Jesus now is the one taking himself up again. And he said he even got that commandment from the Father. Well, who who, who gave the commandment? Well, God gave the commandment. Well, who did he give the commandment to? The Christ? The man who was God manifested in the flesh? He gave the command that he could take up his own life. He gave him the power over all flesh. He had power over his own flesh? I believe he did. He could take up his own flesh again. Now, here's the one that took me a little while for the Lord to kind of straighten out in my mind because I had this so mixed up for so long. And a lot of men use this as a proof of the separateness of Jesus and the Spirit and the, as in the Trinity, this Trinity, this Athanasian view of the Trinity. They say this is proof that Jesus and the Spirit are not the same person. Now, we've just read several verses that show that they are. But here they come to John chapter 14 and in verse 15. They say all three of the Trinity is found here and they're separate. It says, And I will pray the Father and He shall give you another Comforter that He may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. Because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Now, at that point they say, see there, you have the Father who is being prayed to by the Son that the Holy Spirit might be sent as the counselor. There's the three persons, distinct individual persons of the Trinity here. And you see that they are separate persons because Jesus said, I'm going to send you another comforter. Now, in our Bibles here, the word comforter is capitalized because it's speaking of the Holy Spirit of God, right? He's going to send you another comforter. So, I don't have any problem with anything that's said there because God said it. And I will pray the Father and He shall give you another comforter that He may abide with you forever. Who had been their comforter up to this point? Jesus. Why? Because He was with them. He was with them all along, teaching them, instructing them, keeping them safe. He pulled Peter from sinking out of the depths, right? Whenever Peter tried to walk across the water and come to him, pulled him out of the depths. He kept the religious leaders from killing him and everybody else along with him up to a certain point, right? Jesus had been their comforter. He'd been teaching them the things of the kingdom, Preaching in them things, the kingdom of God. Assuring them of the salvation that was theirs. He was their comforter. But now he said, I'm going to send another comforter. So everyone thinks, well, that's going to be uh, the Holy Spirit. But look, if you would, in verse 18. 
Just right after he said that. He says, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Jesus now is saying, I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Well, how's he coming to them? He's coming to them as the Spirit of Christ. Now see, brethren, to me that is more in a tight unity of the Godhead of who God is than three separate individual beings. And so again, I'm not trying to deny the Trinity and I'm not saying I know how it all works beyond the realms that we cannot see. I'm just trying to say what the Bible says and say it to the length that the Bible says and no further. Is that to me there is more of a unity in the God that we really are not tapping into what is being revealed and we're going more about what some Athanasian creed or some Nicene creed has been preaching to us through theologians through all the ages who wants to make this to be some individual three-headed God. And I don't think that the Bible is as clear on that as people make it out to be. Could there be three divine persons with one essence? I don't know. The Bible doesn't clearly say that. So I will stick with what the Bible does say, but I know one thing. Everybody does not preach and teach enough on the unity of God than they do on the division. Whenever I hear people preach the Trinity, it's always to separate them three. Have you all seen the little symbol that everybody prices around about the Trinity? It said, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And it says, the Father is not the Son, is not the Holy Spirit, who is not the Father. And all of them point into God. You know, the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God, but it's not this one, not that one, not that one. Well, to me, when I look at that, that is completely antithetical to what we've seen in the Scriptures. I mean, the Son, the Bible says, is the everlasting Father and is the Spirit Counselor that He sends to His people. That He is the Word. That He is God. The Father is God. The Holy Spirit is God. But these three that bear record in heaven are one in Christ Jesus. So I would put Jesus Christ at the center. And I would put the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit... Father is God, the Holy Spirit is God, the Son is God, and all of these are found in Christ. He is the one. Now, with that being said, who is the one that we are going to see in in heaven on the throne? Are we going to see three persons? Is there going to be three thrones up there? Is there going to be one throne and there's going to be the Father sitting up there and then Jesus standing at His side and some little cloud hovering over next to Him. A dove, maybe. We've got a dove over here and some cloud that's invisible, which is the Father, and then Jesus. I mean, how's it going to work? All I know is the Bible says that there's one who sat in the midst of the throne. The one who had the scroll that no man could open. But who opened it? The one who sat on the throne. Jesus. The Bible says that there was one who was in the midst of the throne. And who was it? The Lamb that was slain. Who is that? That's Jesus. The Bible says that the one who sat on the throne was the one who made all things, who is the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, that all people that was being worshipped in that throne room, around that throne, was saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. Well, who is that? Well, John tells us back in Isaiah that that was Jesus Christ that was sitting on the throne. That was back in Isaiah's day. So in case people didn't believe that Jesus was there, He was there. 
So there's overwhelming evidence that our worship is directed to Christ because He is the invisible God made manifest. Now I don't think we need to go a whole lot further than that, but brethren, there's a couple other verses that clearly show us these things about Christ. I think it's a one Peter. One Peter chapter one. One Peter chapter one and verse eleven. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and of the glory that should follow. What is that talking about? It's talking about the Old Testament believers, right? They had the Spirit of Christ in them. Well, wait a minute, I thought Christ wasn't there yet. And wait, you're saying the Spirit? They had the Spirit of Christ. So obviously, the Spirit who is eternal... was in them, and yet it was the Spirit of Christ. Again, God was manifesting Himself in Christ Jesus, whether it was the Spirit manifesting, whether it was the Word manifesting, whether it was the Father manifesting, all the manifestations of the record bearers in heaven were all making record and bearing witness of one person, and that's Jesus Christ. The Spirit, back in the Old Testament, was testifying of Christ. The Father, whether it be in the Old Testament or whether it be in the New Testament, was bearing witness of who? Jesus Christ. The Word of God. Who does it testify of? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the center point of everything, whether it be the Old Testament, the New Testament, or whether it be of the Godhead. Jesus Christ is the center point of all of it. So I think that we, uh, I think we do a disservice to the preaching of uh, the unity of God whenever we try to make God into, break Him up into a disunity uh, when the Bible overwhelmingly uh, is making it uh, unified, more unified than it is. Um, anyway. Alright, well, that's about all I can think of, brother. That's at least all the ones that I wrote down that I could think of. There's probably a lot more. I mean, I know there's a lot more. I mean, there's a lot of scriptures that talk about one God. There's a bunch of verses that... Matter of fact, there's a verse in the New Testament I, I tried to look it up right before we started this morning uh, and I couldn't find it that said, where Christ actually said that the Father was... Uh, the Father is in me. Dwell, or the Father who dwells in me. So the Father... Dwell, I had a guy tell me one time, the Father doesn't dwell in the Son. That the Son has the fullness of the Godhead, but the Father doesn't actually dwell in the Son. And the Scriptures are very clear. He said, the Father who dwelleth in me, and I, I just couldn't, I forgot where that was at, and I couldn't find it, to write it down. And of course, you've seen, I've already forgot half the stuff that I want to say. Anyway, but, anybody have anything? Brother, would you like to speak up on anything? I know there's a lot of disagreement with what I, what I, I talked about. I, I found this very helpful. Uh, because I've struggled with this myself. And, and uh, there's been a lot of uh, argumentation amongst the brethren about it. Yeah. And, uh, but it's been very helpful. Now, one of the things that's been really staggering for me to contemplate is the chapters where it talks about, uh, and I'm sure you've 
thought about this when you were going through this, where he says, um, you know, in both in Matthew and in Mark, um, you know, why hast thou forsaken me? And that is my mind, and how that, you know, and, and also one other scripture that comes to my mind, when he's talking about the thief on the cross, this day thou shalt be with me in paradise. That kind of answers that question, you know, because if God is omnipotent and omniscient, and if Christ is not separate from, um, so those are two things that kind of come to my mind. That when he says, why hast thou forsaken me? And that was the main, of, and I think it goes back to your point about his manhood. You know, Christ's manhood was um, distinct from, from, you know, Pink in his book, The Holy Spirit, kind of separates things. And he talks about all the functions of the Holy Spirit. And I think that your point is well taken because if you try to make the Holy Spirit having completely separate functions from the Godhead, that kind of brings that into play. So, no, it's a very good study. You know, one of the things, one of the arguments that I think of now that you say that is, you know, they always try when I'm speaking of, of the Trinity, sorry, it's been on the long myself, um, they, uh, they always say, you know, in breaking down the Trinity, they say, well, you know, the Father elected, the Son redeemed, and the Holy Spirit applied, you know, uh, but yet, in some of the verses that we've seen here, we've seen that the, of course, we know the electing of God. We see that, but we also see that that God was also involved in the redeeming. Uh, he was. He, it said that Jehovah was the redeemer, the savior. Well, those those terms are attributed to Jesus. So I, that's what I say. I, I think I think it's more complex than just the basic Trinity model that we're taught from a young age. I think there's some value just for demonstration purposes when we say that God created man in his own image. Well, Michael Smith has a mind, a soul, and a spirit. Mm-hmm. And all of, all, of Mark, all of Mike's mind is Mike's mind, and his soul is Mike's soul, and his spirit is, and it's all one. Well, that, I mean, it's, uh, uh, you know, you think about, uh, uh, you think about how God works in, in everything, and, and we try to, you know, like I said, we put him in a separate category here, and then we put him in a separate category here, and then we put him in a separate, separate category here, and I can see where the person says, well, now, you know, you're saying that it's all the same person. Now he's acting in different modes. Therefore, you're a, a modalist. I said, well, I'm not exactly saying that. I'm just saying that God acts, that these are three titles that are given, that God has revealed himself as, and that in these in these titles, just like Jesus, prophet, priest, and king. Well, Jesus wasn't three persons. He wasn't, there's a prophet, and then a priest, and then a king, and then three separate individual beings. There, one person, but there are three offices or titles that he held, and he acted as a prophet. He was—he's our preacher. He's our teacher. He's our priest. He's the one who went before God with the sacrifice, and he's our king. He's the ruler over all things. Those are titles, but not three distinct individuals. Well, 
as I understand it, that's how God, or the Bible is describing God as Father, Word, and Holy Spirit, that these three witnesses are bearing record of, of Christ, whether it's the Father in all of what He does as the Father, or whether it's the Word in all that the Word does, or all of the Spirit in all that the Spirit does. And uh, that how God does that together, and that's why I say, to me it's more complex than just saying, well, the Father has His part of redemptive history or plan to do and then Christ has his job and then Holy Spirit has his job and these three have to get their jobs done. Well you make a really good point about the history of the Trinitarian doctrine originating from the Athanasian and Nicene Creeds and that's a Catholic, Roman Catholic origin. So it's a relatively young kind of idea that is not a historical position at all. You hold a historical yeah. Yeah. So, like I said, man, I think that uh, I think that the Word of God should be our, our guide on all those things. The, they're so. I mean, I, I'm I'm just as guilty as anybody else, man. I love my theologians in the day, you know, especially when I come to the doctrines of grace, you know, uh, Gill and uh, all those guys. Man, if they said it. Boy, that's I got Now I've got to form. Okay, well, that's not what this is saying. See, what I'm doing is letting that guy tell me what the Scriptures are saying instead of the Holy Spirit telling me what the Scriptures said. And then checking to see whether or not those guys are in accordance with the Scripture. But I think that, that the Scriptures is true and or not. So uh, I think you kids especially need to, need to learn that from an early age is that all men are fallible and all men are being taught of God and they're growing in the grace and knowledge of God. What I preach and believe now, I don't, is not even the, fully the same that I believe when I first came to Joplin, matter of fact. Uh, there's been several things that I've came and repented of and turned from and had to teach differently as the Lord's given me understanding of things. And, uh, that's a, pretty tough on the old pride when you gotta go back and do that. Ask your church. I know I preached this once, but here's what the Lord's showing me now and everything. That's why we always go to the Word of God to look for that because all of us grow in the grace and knowledge of the, G- of the Lord Jesus Christ as He teaches us and, and everything. And it's a wonderful thing. I, I'm glad the Lord's continuing to teach me and that I'm not left out. Listen, I know some preachers that they're stagnant. They're still saying the same thing that they said 50 years ago and their minds don't get changed about nothing no matter what you try to tell them. Uh, I mean, even this very issue here, whether it's this, whether it's God the author of sin and stuff, I've had conversations with preachers that I know have been preachers for years and years and years and years, and they don't even want to entertain the thought because it goes against their theology. It goes against what they've been teaching. Now they're going to have to say, oh, that book that I wrote or that study lesson that I drew up, that outline that I made or that sermon that I preached, it's all going to be wrong and everything. Well, if it is, that's all right. Be wrong. I mean, nobody's perfect and everybody's learning, so just say it and go on. Stick with the truth. But know that that, you know, those things that that we learn, we learn because the Spirit teaches us. So always look for the Spirit and the the Word of God to be our guide, not not everybody as good as Larry is, Mark and me and anybody else that preaches or teaches or anything like that. Hey, we're not God. I mean, we're not all-knowing, and we don't have it all figured out and everything. 
listen to my preaching quite a bit and you'll figure it out. I don't have a lot of stuff figured out. And most of the time I can't get it out very well either. It's all jumbled mess. But I pray the Spirit will be your teacher. Because it doesn't matter about the ability of men. You don't have to be a great orator to be a preacher. You don't have to be called of a seminary or called of academics or be, you know, have the voice of Adrian Rogers and the intellect of John Gill to be able to be a gospel preacher. Uh, Robert made a good point. Made me really do a double take on some of the things I have thought in the past. He talked about the covenant between the Godhead. And he said, have you ever thought about, you know, if the Godhead doesn't need to have a contract between the three of themselves? And I've never entertained that thought. He said that God is in perfect unity. They don't have to have strike an agreement between them. Absolutely. Actually, all the covenants that God made uh, was uh, never a conditional contract or a conditional covenant. The covenant that God made in the... And that's... And I used to say this. You may have probably heard it too uh, in your years uh, among other beliefs and stuff. Uh, we would always say that uh, a covenant is always a contract between two people, you know. Well, that's not true. A covenant is just God declaring that this, I'm going to do something. A decree, yeah. Yeah, it's a decree that God has covenanted. And we learn in the Bible that he's covenanted and he has swore by his own name that this is what I'm going to do. So the covenant, the everlasting covenant wasn't a covenant between the, the, the Trinity. It was a covenant of God saying, this is what we're, this is what I'm going to do. And, uh, yeah, I would agree. With matter of fact, I was reading somebody just 